Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Slamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining us. This is already week eight in the NFL, and look at this. The Jets have a huge game Sunday at home against the Patriots. The Jets coming off a 16-9 win in Denver, which was really more of a rock fight than a football game. Jets now 5-2, best start since 2010. Jets with a four-game winning streak. Hadn't done that since 2015. So much stuff swirling around this team. We're going to get into it all, I promise. We're also going to talk to Leger Dusable, former Jets defensive lineman turned NFL analyst. Going to get into it with Leger in the second period. But let's just move right to the headlines. Let's not waste any time here. The Jets with the big headline, the running back situation. Unfortunately, Brees Hall, their star rookie, out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. Just a crushing blow for the Jets, their offense, and, and, and Brees Hall most of all. But the Jets moving quickly. Joe Douglas wasting very little time making a trade with the Jaguars for James Robinson. As you guys know, that's a sixth-round conditional pick. It can improve to a five if he reaches 600 yards rushing this year. He's already at 340, so he'll only need 260. You have to believe he'll reach that plateau. Um, so the Jets, a way the source explained it to me was the Jets have two sixth-round picks, of course. We know that. Uh, they got a sixth-rounder from Houston in that Blake Cashman trade from earlier in the year. So the way the trade works is that Jacksonville get, will get the higher of the sixes, which you, of course, would think would be Houston's. Um, so essentially the Jets traded a backup injury-prone linebacker in Blake Cashman for a, a running back who's already got a 1,000 yards season on his resume. So that's a pretty good trade as it stands right now. Even when it approves to a five, and I am assuming it will, I still think it's a good value for the Jets. They needed a running back, and I think this sends a message to the locker room. Joe Douglas basically telling the players, we're in win-now mode. Enough of the uh, patient rebuilding. We're five and two. We got a shot at making some noise here, and we're going to do everything to maximize our chances. I think that's what the trade said. It also said they needed a, a one-two punch with Michael Carter. Ty Johnson obviously has some ability. He's fast. I just don't think he fits into what this coaching staff wants to do. So they go out and get James Robinson, a, a one-cut downhill runner who should fit ideally into this scheme. I have a very good source in Jacksonville who described um, James Robinson as a high-quality individual, uh, a good running back, a very good pass protector, which cannot be minimized given the offensive line issues they've had, and uh, a, a good trade for the Jets. Now, my source did tell me that he doesn't think Robinson is fully over his Achilles injury. He actually tore that Achilles tendon against the Jets in Week 16 last year. But he's still putting up solid numbers this year. He's averaging over four yards a carry. And uh, my Jacksonville source actually expressed surprise that the Jaguars traded him and thought the Jets got a great value. And I do, I do think they did. And I fully expect James Robinson to be in there on Sunday against, uh, against the Patriots. Now, it's unfortunate for Brees Hall. They also lose Elijah Vera Tucker for the season with a triceps injury. I mean, just talk about devastating i mean 
agony and ecstasy within minutes. I mean, Brees Hall with that 62-yard touchdown run, it was it was incredible. I don't even think he touched the ground. He was moving so fast. And then just six minutes later on the clock, the agony, you see him you know, limping off the field and then carted to the locker room with that uh, torn ACL. And the Jets knew immediately on that that it was bad. And they knew it on, Ace, on uh, Elijah Vera Tucker as well. That's a big, big loss. He's been such a valuable player having started at three different positions this year so that's going to be a little bit dicey I, I Cedric Ogbowehi is going to start at uh, right tackle for this week but let me tell you this just from talking to people around the league I don't think Joe Douglas is done the trading deadline is November 1st that's next Tuesday Joe Douglas is I believe still looking and I think possibly targeting an offensive tackle uh, you know, the Jets have some decent depth with uh, Cedric and, you know, and they have George Fant and, and Max Mitchell on IR. I get the sense. Now, Fant is eligible to come back this week. I don't get the sense that he's coming back this week. And quite frankly, I think the Jets are a little bit concerned about his prospects for the rest of the year. So I think you're going to see Joe Douglas really try to come get a starting caliber tackle. Uh, those are extremely difficult to find. If they don't, you know, they could go with Cedric or they got Mike Remmers on the bench and they got Max Mitchell coming back. But I think Joe Douglas is looking. Trust me, he's looking. He's a very aggressive GM. We've seen it. And I think he's out there looking for some depth because I do think there's some concern about George Fant and his knee injury. Um, the good news is that Corey Davis looks like he's day-to-day with a knee injury. He won't be out for a substantial amount of time. Uh, let's talk about this uh Elijah Moore situation. We we can't ignore it. It's been a distraction around the team. Uh, it is uh, not a great situation. Me, I think it's one of the most selfish things I've seen a player do. I mean, he basically has played a year in the league, and now he's complaining about targets. He wants to be traded. Uh, my sources tell me that he got into a heated exchange with Mike Lafleur. LaFleur essentially said, get out of here, go home, cool off. That's what the Jets did. They sent him home for the weekend. He rejoined the team on Monday. He is expected to practice on Wednesday, and he is expected to play Sunday against the Patriots. It's a very interesting dynamic. Um, Robert Sala is painting a very positive picture about how they want to love him up and welcome him back. But what we don't know is Elijah Moore's side of the story. You know, yeah, he's frustrated. We know that. We got that from sources. But Elijah Moore has not spoken publicly about this. Yeah, he did send out a tweet and then a couple of cryptic tweets. But we really haven't heard it from the horse's mouth. Um, was this a uh, just a, a, a impulsive decision by an immature 22-year-old who maybe had a change of heart? Or is he really dug in? Does he have the deep, deep feelings that he does not want to play for the Jets? We don't know that yet. I mean, until I hear it come from his his mouth, then I'll believe it. So right now, uh, we expect him to be back with the team. Hopefully, he will talk to the media. He has been declining media requests uh, for a few days. Hasn't really want to talk about it as his frustration has grown. He should be able to get some targets. You know, I think there's a chance Corey Davis doesn't play this week. So they really need Elijah Moore to get back in there. I think he's a good player. I think deep down he's a good person. I've known I've spoken to him a few times over the last over the last year. I think he got some bad advice from his agent, maybe even from his good friend AJ Brown who got traded in the offseason. So I think he's probably spending too much time on social media. These things influence players and, and you can't 
like to quote Bill Parcells, this guy hasn't even earned a pelt in the NFL yet, and he's coming out and putting himself ahead of the team, a team that's winning. Uh, it's one thing to do it in the offseason or in the preseason, a requested trade. I totally get it. Some players deserve to to have a trade, to cha- get a change of scenery. But in this case, bad timing, uh, not justified. I can guarantee you this. I don't think there's any receiver on the Jets who are happy with their targets right now. The Jets really aren't throwing the ball that much. And I thought Zach Wilson did a good job of pointing it out when he was talking about this Elijah Moore situation. They're just not throwing a lot, but they're winning. And winning is the most important thing. I don't think this is beyond the point of being salvaged. I mean, you see guys like Kevin Durant and Debo Samuel, you know, request trades and then, you know, go back to their team. So it's not over for Elijah Moore in New York. I guarantee you if he scores a touchdown against the Patriots, the fans are going to embrace him again and it'll all be forgotten. But uh, you don't want it to become a distraction and uh, I thought the Jets handled it really well last week. They go out and beat Denver, which shows that we're able to minimize that distraction. Let's talk about the defense. It's been awesome the last four games. I think Sauce Gardner is developing before our eyes into a star. I've seen a, I've seen a bunch of good cornerbacks over the years. I think his rookie year is better than Darrell Revis's rookie year was. Now, I'm not saying Sauce Gardner is going to become Darrell. Darrell Revis, who is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday, perhaps even this year. But I think Sauce's rookie year is better than what I saw from Revis as a rookie. Uh, DJ Reed has been outstanding on the other side, probably doesn't get enough credit because he's overshadowed. I think the Jets have altered their defensive philosophy over the last few weeks. Ever since that Quinnen Williams blow up on the sideline, uh, they have become really just a predominantly four-man rushing team. They are I think the lowest team in blitz percentage over the last few weeks. So evidently Quinn's message to Aaron Whitecotton got through because the Jets have shifted philosophies and they are playing lights out on defense. And this is going to have to be a defensive team to carry them the rest of the way. The offense is struggling, which brings me into my next point. Zach Wilson uh, struggling at quarterback, but he is 4-0. Uh, he's gone three straight games uh, without a touchdown pass, and they've won all those games. It's it's unusual. It hasn't happened in the NFL since uh, 2016 with uh, Houston Texans did that. It doesn't happen often where you can put together a three-game winning streak without a touchdown pass in today's NFL. Yeah, he's gone against some really good pass defenses, Denver and Green Bay. I totally get it, but that is not in a license to manage only 100 yards passing in a game. I can see going below your average for sure, but to go that far below in today's NFL, uh, not not good. I mean, every completion seems like a struggle for the Jets. Zach Wilson did not complete a pass against Denver that traveled over 10 yards in the air. So is it a concern? Two ways to look at it. You know, he's 4-0 since coming back. That's the most wins for a Jet quarterback to start a season since Chad Pennington in 4 So that's the micro view. They're winning. The macro view is, well, you know, we have to take the macro view here. And it's like, well, you know, it's a little bit concerning because Zach Wilson is the future. He seems to be regressing. His pocket presence is questionable. He seems to drift in the pocket. He spends a lot of time running around back there trying to make plays happen. It's a very schoolyardish. And I think Robert Sala, even on Monday, saying that Wilson has to know when enough is enough, just throw the ball away. 
He's gone three games without a turnover, which quite frankly is a minor miracle because he's put the ball in harm's way a few times. He's got to clean that up. He's got to get rid of the ball quicker. This is a timing offense. The timing is out of whack right now. So, yeah, they're winning, but there's going to be more on Zach Wilson's shoulders right now. They just lost their best offensive playmaker in Brees Hall. I don't think they're going to shift philosophy dramatically, but there's going to be more on Zach Wilson's shoulders, and he's going to have to deliver because, uh, you know, they got to get more production out of the passing game. You just can't win in the NFL, you know, converting one of 11 on third down every week and throwing for 110 yards. Just not going to happen. So they need more out of Zach Wilson. He's got to play a cleaner game. He's got to be more decisive in the pocket. But all that said, they lose two key players, AVT, Brees Hall. They bring in James Robinson, which I think is a good trade, a good value. And they're 5-2. and two. And they got the Patriots coming to town on Sunday. A vulnerable Patriots team. Jets looking for payback. What more can you ask for? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd like to welcome to the program uh, an old friend of Flight Deck. We've had him on before. He, of course, is the former Jets defensive lineman, Leger Dusable. Played in the NFL from 09 to 17. He was with the Jets from 13 to 15. And most recently, in a non-football-related uh, event, won a New York Emmy Award for top sports analyst. That is so awesome. Congratulations on that, Leger, and thank you for being here. Appreciate it, Rich. Thanks for having me on again. Let's go right there. I mean, what was it like to win an Emmy? I mean, you, there was some pretty stiff competition there in that category as well. I know Clyde Frazier was was in there. Um, how cool was that? Uh, it was really cool. I mean, Frank Asola was in there. Monica uh, McNutt, who they both work for ESPN. Um, so it was it was really cool, especially my first year as a full time broadcaster to be able for one, just be recognized with some of the top you know sports analysts in the game. But then not only that, but to actually win it. Uh, it was a blessing, man. You know, shout out to everybody at SNY that that helped me along the way, that gave me an opportunity, and we had a really great team. Me, Willie Bart, you know, Steve Gelb was a great point guard for us. Did a great job of just teeing us up and setting me up and letting me be myself. Also, Michael Flynn, our producer, is one of the best in the business. So it, it was an amazing blessing. Let's talk current events here. The Jets made a, a pretty significant trade on Monday. Wasting no time in replacing mm-hmm. Reese Hall by going out and get James Robinson from the Jaguars. Um, Leger, what was your initial take on the trade? I love it. I literally tweeted it, you know, as soon as Brees Hall went down. I said, free James Robinson. <laughs> and, <laughs> and honestly, when I when I said it, I was more saying it for Jacksonville to do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know because, you know, they've 
for a lot of times, Joe D and Salah had this like next man up mentality, right? Mm-hmm. But I love this move and the aggressive the aggressiveness by Joe Douglas. You know, we had an offensive tackle, a couple offensive tackles go down. He gets to Wayne Brown, right? Showing that, you know, he's all in on this season, that this team is well put together and we can make some, some noise potentially in the playoffs. And then your best offensive player goes down, right? I think everybody's head's hanging low. Um, he was the real spark on offense. He goes and gets a running back that, for all intents and purposes, I was surprised Jacksonville took a running back like Travis Etienne in the first round. Because, right. granted, yes, I know he's James Robinson was an undrafted free agent. But to go over 1,000 yards or rookie years an undrafted guy is usually unheard of, right? Not many guys have done that. And the ability of this guy, he's a, he's a three-down back, right? This guy is, is a sure protector in the pocket on passing situations, runs physically and tough. And honestly, um, Rich, he's the perfect back for the scheme as far as a one-cut get-downhill runner in this zone scheme. He fits perfectly. Like, he was balling the first three weeks of the season coming off the Achilles injuries, the Achilles injury, and then they just went away from him. I don't understand why. I, I think it's because Trent Bulky has to make good on taking a running back in the first round, even though he shouldn't have. And right. this is nothing against Travis Etienne. I think he's a really good player. I just think you don't do that when you kind of already solidified at the running back position and for cheap at that, <laughs> at that yeah. point too, Rich, a guy that went undrafted. So I'm glad we were able to get this done because essentially he becomes a free agent. I know now I was in this position as well as an undrafted guy. He's a restricted free agent next year. Restricted, so yeah. Depending on if the Jets tender him or not, if they let him walk out, they can get compensation back for him. So I think this was a masterful job by Joe D only giving up a six that becomes a fifth round pick. If he gets about 300 yards rushing, which right. I think he will get well, still, if you have a team that's five and two right now, you want to make sure that you still instill confidence in this team after losing one of its best playmakers. Why not get a guy that can step in? Now we're not saying he's Brees Hall, but he's been a highly productive back in his first two years in the NFL so far. Yeah. You mentioned the undrafted status. He actually had more total yards from scrimmage more than any undrafted player in NFL history as a rookie. And so, you know, he's productive, you know, he, he did tear his Achilles last year against the jets, but made a really great recovery to come back. And, and, you know, it's a new coaching staff there. You know how it works. It's, it's very political. Sometimes players don't get a shake because the new coaching staff wants to go with their own guy. So that does happen a lot in the NFL. I want to ask you as a player, if you're sitting in the jet locker room like uh, this morning and you find out that Joe Douglas goes out and gets a a starting caliber running back like a a James Robinson, what what kind of message did that send to the guys in the locker room? Yeah, like I was telling you earlier, Rich, I think it shows that Joe Douglas is in on this season. Like I would say in in past years, they may have stayed pat, right, and been like, you know, we're going to ride with Michael Carter. We're going to ride with Todd Johnson. You know, Bam Knight is on practice squad. I think Robert Sala even said that in his press conference. And he kind of hinted hinted to it and kind of let us know how Joe Douglas was thinking, right, because he was like, Joe's going to do whatever Joe's going to do. Like that's what Joe D does. And essentially a few hours later, the big trade comes through that James Robinson is coming. I literally was on air on my show uh, that I host on SiriusXM, I Am Athlete Tonight, when the news broke. And it was funny because I tweeted it like four or five hours before that. And everybody retweeted me once that happened. And I had to stop the show in the middle of the show. I was like, guys, this might not be big news to you guys. But I'm going to say this is big news for the yeah. New York Jets. Trading for a starting caliber running back in James Robinson. Again, not Brees Hall, but a guy that's been highly productive that I think fits perfectly in this scheme. And then with Mike LaFleur, the trust factor as far as, far as pass protection. James Robinson will step up in there and hit linebackers, keep guys off of Zach Wilson so he feels comfortable in the pocket. I think this was a a massive move by the New York Jets. And then the compensation for it, sixth-round pick, fifth-round pick, 
I think you give that up for a guy like James Robinson. Yeah, I don't see much downside at all to this trade. And you mentioned pass protector. I think that is a totally underrated factor in this trade because with all the moving parts on the offensive line, you know, you have a young franchise type quarterback. You you need to do everything you can to protect them. And because uh, I mean, the protection has been was a little shaky last week. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what happens when you have a, a few injuries, right? Yeah, you, I mean, AVT. to me. And Brees Hall was a massive loss, but honestly, to me, Elijah Vera Tucker was the biggest loss. What he's done, Rich, is unheard of. I've never seen an yeah. offensive lineman do what he's been able to do these last few weeks and play at a high level at all three positions, right? This guy came in, right? They moved him to right guard. He played all left guard last year. Really was rock solid at right guard. Then had to go from right guard to left tackle. Like, I don't think that's ever been done. Right guard <laughs> to left tackle. And then not give up any pressures or sacks or anything at that. Then move to right tackle, which he's never even taken a snap of, even in college, Rich, and yeah. still be dominated at right tackle. So he was a godsend. I think that, honestly, I know Brees Hall and what he's done with the ball and how explosive he is. Honestly, to me, that's the bigger blow, losing Elijah Vera yeah. because he was a chess piece that literally could move up and down the offensive line, and that's rare in today's NFL. Yeah, I I don't know if you caught it. I did a story last week. I talked to a Hall of Fame lineman like Anthony Munoz and Tony Bastelli and Dan Deardorff. I also talked to, you know, Damian Woody, who's played a lot of different positions, and they were blown away by what uh, AVT was able to do. I mean, these are like the greatest of all time, Munoz and Baselli, and they were just like, that is really hard to do. All right, I want to change it to a totally different kind of player-related subject with Elijah Moore. Um, We all know what happened. The trade request last week after things got a little heated, they sent him home for a few days just to kind of chill out. Uh, You know, give me the player's perspective on that. I I mean, I made my opinions clear on this. I thought it was a selfish move because the team was doing so well, you know, as a group, and uh, he became an individual. Uh, What's your take, Leger? Let me break it down for you like this, Rich. Um, there was a similar similar situation, a little different um, with a receiver in Baltimore, Marquise Hollywood Brown, right? Um, me and Brandon Marshall actually had him on for an interview as soon as he got traded to Arizona during the draft. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know this, and we, 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 we broke it on our show. He had requested a trade for a year in advance. Like a year before that, he had requested a trade. Never made it public, right, because the team was doing well. Didn't really want to upset Lamar, who was really close with. And that was my major issue with Elijah Moore. I get it. You're frustrated. Whether the team is winning, you don't get your target. You don't get you don't get paid. But come on, bro. You're in year two. Like Hollywood Brown did that in year three, and he still did it quietly. My thing is, if you had did it quietly, I wouldn't have had an issue with it. And then at the end of the season, if things keep going the same way, and you ask them to trade you and nothing happens, then if you want to make it public, because year three is literally like your contract year when you're only on a four-year deal. So I get it then. Right. But the fact that you did it after six weeks, knowing that Zach Wilson had been gone for seven weeks, essentially his first three games have been like preseason. Even last week was kind of like the fourth preseason game. Like right. he hasn't been around. All that continuity that you built up in the offseason with him when you went to Wyoming and Utah, California, all that goes out the window, Rich. You have to start all over when a guy misses seven weeks. You got to get that timing back. You got to get that continuity back. And I think Zach Wilson answered it perfectly, right? Dude, I've thrown 18 passes and 21 passes. I guarantee nobody is happy with the production they're getting at the receiving or tight end position right now. I mean, we we all thought that tight ends would get at least nine to 10 targets between the two of them a game. That clearly hasn't happened because the run game has been so so good. 
And also, they haven't really put too much on Zach Wilson's plate now. I think they w- will have to going forward. Um, but if this defense keeps playing like it is, maybe maybe they don't. Uh, because we saw it with Denver. Like, their defense has played well. They just haven't had enough offensive plays to get over the hump. Zach has showed you spurts. We saw it in the Pittsburgh Steelers game when he had to have two four-quarter drives to help his team win that game, right? We saw the Green Bay week, right? Even though he had a shaky first half, comes back after Green Bay scores to cut the lead to seven. Those Corey uh, Davis on a quick slant, throws him on a hitch and go, right? Then the end around to Braxton Berrios. He's made some good throws. Now, last week was probably not his best game so far this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that defense, if you look at all the quarterbacks they've played, they suffocated every quarterback. Even Justin Herbert was suffocated by that defense. So I think part of it was the defense. I think Zach also has been a little late with some of his throws. Garrett Wilson does a good job continuously getting open. Now he does drop the ball too much. I think he needs to work on that. Right. But as far as getting open, Garrett Wilson's done a good job. Even the pass to um, Denzel Mims over the middle, like that was behind him. If he catches that in stride, he maybe can turn up the field and maybe get some positive yards there. So I think it's been a, a timing issue with, with Zach. And also it's hard to get a rhythm when the, the, the OC, and I'm not putting this on Mike LaFleur, because if they're running, if you keep running the ball and they can't stop it, continue to do it. Absolutely. But it's hard for a quarterback to get a rhythm when he's only throwing the ball 20 times a game. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a player, like, okay, so Elijah Moore on Wednesday is going to go back. He's rejoined the team. We know that. He's going to practice this week. Uh, he's going to walk into the locker room on Wednesday morning, you know, for a team meeting. And you're a player. I mean, he doesn't He doesn't want to be there. He said publicly, you know, he, his agent – put it out there that he he wants to trade. So what do you, what do you think the guys are going to say to him in the locker room? Do you, do you throw your arms around him and brace him and say, we love you. We want you back. Or, or do you give him a stern talking to, <laughs> I mean, I know Robert Sala, that's what he wants them to do. That's not realistic, right? If you're a veteran guy like CJ Mosley, Dwayne Brown, you gotta put your arm around this kid. Like, look here, like we, we understand your frustration, but come on, man, this is, isn't just about you. And I get it. Until you get your targets, you can't pay for your family. But look here, you essentially just finished your rookie year. Let's not forget, you missed six games last year, right? So, like, the six games that you played this year literally equals one whole rookie year. Like, I get it, the frustration. But, dude, we're winning right now. Zach is just coming back off injury. You have to earn a lot of our respect back because you kind of you kind of threw a monkey wrench in us going into Denver. And the one thing I, I didn't want to see because this team is so young, Rich, Mm-hmm. Is dissension because of something like that. And we saw that Sauce Garner tweeted something about being selfish right after that. And that was the last thing that we needed to see, right? We don't yeah. want offensive and defensive guys going at it. This team has been a close-knit family. They've been a fun team to watch. You can tell they truly enjoy playing with each other out on that field. And I think this is just not the right time. Again, if you're frustrated, and and we know his, uh, his, his agent, Tori Dandy, and the guys that he's represented. So yeah. this move doesn't surprise me at all. It just surprised me because Elijah's a really good kid. I know I know the kid. I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's from mm-hmm. down here in South Florida where I live. Um, I just thought it was a surprising thing for him to come out this early and do that. I honestly think he got some bad advice. And honestly, I feel like he has to earn the respect of some of those, of everybody on that team back again. Yeah, totally agree. Let's talk about something that's in your wheelhouse, uh, defense. Jets have been playing great on defense. Um, what has – what has been like the strongest impression they've, what is it about this defense that impresses you so much? A couple of things. I think it's a tie between the front four, to, the front four, the defensive line. If you look at Robert Sollard when he was with San Francisco, and I've been telling people this the last two years, I was like, he wants to build it. Like he was, he did when he was in San Francisco and, and Joe D if you know him, like he likes to build the team inside out, offensive line, defensive line. 
this defensive line, the first couple weeks, they really weren't rushing in unison. I think guys were pressing because there was so much talent on the defensive line and, you know, they like to rotate. So you weren't getting all the crazy reps as far as getting the rhythm. So I think guys were just kind of rushing individually. Right. Mm -hmm. And we saw that the first couple of weeks, I say the first two weeks, all the way up until halftime between the Cincinnati Bengals, when Aaron Whitecoat and, you know, Q Williams had that big explosion on the sideline. Yeah. I think since that point, things have changed. Right. Q Williams was like, come on, you got all these guys, these thoroughbreds up front, put the game on us coach. And they've, it's paid dividends because they've actually rushed as a unit, right? We saw them yeah. dominate the Green Bay Packers. Now, Sunday had me a little hot the first half because I felt like they went back to kind of rushing as individuals because Brett Ripon was in there. The thing is, when you have a backup quarterback, especially, in, and you have to realize this, the Nathaniel Hackett system is similar to the Shanahan system, right? He came from Green Bay. It's yeah. a timing-based offense. The quarterback is getting the ball out of his hands. Russell Wilson doesn't like to play like that. That's why they've struggled. And I've been saying that for the last year and a half when he was with Shane Walden, which is the same system as well. He struggled. We see what Geno Smith is doing in Seattle. It's because he's getting rid of the ball when he's right. supposed to get rid of the ball. But with Brett Rippon, he's going to live within the offense. Back for his, that ball is coming out, whether, it's, whether yeah. it's on target or not. So I think guys were pressing. That second half, you started to see the defensive line really take over. The pass rush games were all in unison. There was nowhere for Brett Ripon to, to really run. Couple first couple in the first half, he was able to escape up in the middle of the pocket and you know keep drives going. And I'm like pulling my hair out, Rich. Like, come on, guys. Like, I get it. You guys are willing. You think you can get your sack numbers up because it's a backup, but you have to rush in unison. The sacks will come once they've started rushing in unison. The sacks have come. So I think this will be another big test because, you know, New England, we don't know what they're going to do with their quarterback. Is it going to be <laughs> Bailey Zabby? Is it going to be Mac Jones? Uh, Mac Jones had a couple scampers last night versus Chicago Bears early in that game. You're rushing unison. Trust me. It's going to take a while because New England has always gotten rid of the ball fast. But if you rush in unison and you play with a league, you saw that the Chicago Bears in the second half started getting pressure on Bailey Zappi. I think this just D-line will be able to take over. And then the secondary, I mean, what can you say about these two corners? I mean, what can't you say? They literally should be at the top of everybody's Pro Bowl ballot. I know Sauce Garner is the more flashy guy, but DJ Reed is an ultimate competitor. He's played at a high level. I mean, this guy, yes, his, his height isn't where Sauce Garner is, but he, like I said, he competes throughout the whistle, Rich. Yeah. And you, you can tell when a guy catches the ball on him, it pisses him off. Like, it literally pisses him off. And he can't wait to get back the next play and go at it with the receiver again. I think that, you know, the competitiveness is from our two corners and how well they played, along with the defensive line getting it, being able to get pressure, has been the biggest difference in this team from this year to last year. So in December of 2015, you were on the Jets when they beat the Patriots at uh, MetLife. Of course, right. an exciting overtime win. The place was going nuts. Did you ever think, here we are, what, six years later, seven years later, the Jets have not beaten the Patriots since then. They've lost 12 in a row to the Patriots. So you were part of the last win over the Patriots. Wow. Going into Sunday's game, I mean, how big is it? You know, Robert Sala talks about closing the gap in the division. Well, you got to start with the Patriots. How big is it? How much of a mental wall is it for the Jets to get over? How important is it to get over that wall and finally beat a very vulnerable New England team? It's important, but you got to put it into perspective. I think Rich Eisen said it perfect. Like, we as Jet fans, because I'm a Jet fan, you know, I associate myself with the, with the Jets. Like, we can't put the 10-year or seven-year baggage on some of these young guys. Because a lot of these guys, some of our best players are rookies this year, right? And second-year players. So, technically, they're only 0-2 against the Patriots, which is still terrible. You never want 
an opponent, especially a division opponent, to have a winning record over you. Like, so I don't know if they feel it as much as a guy like maybe C.J. Mosley feels it, right? Or maybe a Braxton Berrios feels it because they've lost continuously to the Patriots the last few years. Now, I think it's good when you have a nice mixture of veterans that have dealt with that compared to some other young guys that would come in because those young guys are just going to go out there and play free. They don't feel the burden of, like, you know, they feel the burden because it's a divisional game, right? You never want to lose divisional games, but they don't feel the burden of the last seven years that you talked about, Rich. Yeah. So it is important, like Robert Solik said, closing the gap. They've they got to win in a division versus the Miami Dolphins earlier in the year. That was the first step, right? Now, like you said, the Patriots have ran this division for so long. Now we know Buffalo seems like they're, they're kind of on their run right now. But right. things have started, like you said, with the New England Patriots, right? This is the perfect opportunity to, one, go 2-0 in the division and literally – I won't, you won't take the division standing leads because Buffalo's only got one loss, but you'll be, you know, undefeated in the division. The only, I believe the only team undefeated in the division if you win this game versus the New England Patriots, which is a big thing. So this is another step that Robert Sala, as far as Robert Sala said, as far as closing that gap, right? Can you go 2-0 in the division? The easiest way to get to the playoffs is to win your division. You have a great opportunity this Sunday. I know MetLife is going to be crazy. My guy Brick is going into the ring of honor. So yeah. I know it's going to it's going to be madness out there. Yeah, you, you're right about the young players not knowing the history, but they know that they got 54 points scored on them last year when they were in Foxborough. Okay. So I think that might be in the, on their the forefront of their minds as they're going in. Belichick running up the score on them. Correct. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Leger, this has been great. I so appreciate you coming by. Again, congratulations on all your success. Leger Doosable, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch you down the road. Appreciate it, Rich. And welcome to Twitter time. I was promising one question for each pass breakup by Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. That's six on Sunday against Denver. So here we go. Six questions. First one, at LJeffe8158. What's the possible alignment on the offensive line with Vera Tucker down? Well, uh, Robert Sala said on Monday that Cedric Obwehi will start at right tackle. He, of course, replaced AVT in the Denver game. They also have Mike Remmers on the bench. Remmers capable of playing right tackle for sure. As I said earlier, George Fant eligible to come off IR, but that is not likely this week, as Robert Sala noted on Monday. And as I noted earlier, I think there's some concern about when Fant will get back. I do think the Jets are looking for alignment in the trade market, but if they don't go in that direction, you know, they still have Max Mitchell, who I think is probably uh, a couple of weeks away. So uh, there are some options for the Jets for sure. Next question from at Komarowski Rob. Rich, what do we make of Zach Wilson's antics behind the line of scrimmage? He backpedals 15 yards, always waits until the last possible moment to get rid of the ball. Makes you hold your breath every time. I thought he'd learn by his second year. Well, I I think I sensed a little bit of frustration in Robert Sala's voice on Monday. Now, he praised Wilson uh, for being just like a super competitor. And, of course, he's never, ever going to criticize his quarterback publicly. But he did note that Wilson does do a lot of running around back there and that he's just got to know when it's time to get rid of the ball. I looked at the next-gen stats Wilson averaged like moving every play, like either running or walking or or sprinting on every play. He averaged 14 yards of of movement on every play. Now, compare that to Broncos quarterback Brett Rippon, who averaged only 10 yards per play. Um, and when you look at it, the disparity in the plays, 
Wilson covered more ground in the game than Rippon, even though the Jets ran fewer plays, which tells you Zach Wilson was running all over the place. And obviously a couple of times he had to do that because it was a jailbreak, but he's got to cut down on that. Uh, he's just he's just wasting time, and it, it's like I said, it's kind of schoolyardish. He's got to be smarter with that. At Pete Arback, the question is, is Mike LaFleur or Zach Wilson the problem with our passing game? With our rep- weapons on offense, why is this offense not more dynamic and able to make basic plays on a consistent basis? Uh, Pete, it's a great question. I don't think it's the coordinator. I don't think it's the play caller. I mean, let's look at this. Let's look at it objectively. Last year, their offense was rolling. When was it rolling last year? It was rolling when Joe Flacco was the quarterback or Mike White or even Josh Johnson for that mop-up against Indianapolis. So I do not believe it's the play caller. I, I think a lot of it has to do with Zach Wilson and his inexperience because when there's been experienced quarterbacks in there and not including Mike White, who was not experienced but still ran the offense at a high level last year, they were able to produce even when Flacco uh, in the lineup earlier this year, the passing game was much better. Uh, at that point, they really weren't running the ball. It was pretty much passing every game. But there were some factors that went into that. But I don't think this is a LaFleur issue. I think it's more of a, a Zach Wilson issue, to be quite honest. And he, he's got to get better. At Jerry Westgate, uh, Jerry's question is... Hold on. Jerry's question is, uh, Sauce Gardner was pretty handsy in Denver and got away with it. Uh, however, the jersey grabs are something that the league could review and maybe even lead officials to start looking for the grabbing in future games. Interesting observation, uh, Jerry. Uh, yeah, there, he was handsy in the game, but I was talking to Sauce Gardner after the game, and he more or less said the officials told them early in the game, and I, when I say him, I mean other players as well, that they were going to let him play, that they weren't going to call the ticky-tack stuff and they were going to let him play. And I think, I know he appreciated that, of course, what cornerback wouldn't. And so that's why it was a little bit handsy. I think he was playing to what the limitations were. And even on the uh, key fourth quarter pass breakup in the end zone, he admitted that he could have been called for pass interference because there was some hand fighting going on between him and the receiver. And in this case, though, he almost got the nod from the official that, you know, just keep it relatively clean. You know, he'll allow a little bit of handsy stuff, but not a lot. And I thought it was a really good rookie move, you know, knowing how much he could get away with. And he did. And he had a really good game. At sports underscore fiend, uh, the question is, uh, is it safe to say that Sauce and Rita are the best cornerback duo in the AFC? Also, what's the biggest difference you've seen from the defense compared to 2021? I think I think Gardner and Reed are playing outstanding, but I still think Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey are probably the best cornerback tandem in the AFC they're from the Ravens of course biggest difference for the Jets on defense is they're taking the ball away they've got 11 takeaways already last year they had 14 for the entire season they could not make any plays last year uh you know so the Jets are going to pass that mark and then some they have playmakers you know they're getting a better pass rush forces the quarterback into bad decisions take the ball away the NFL is you got to make plays in the NFL. They are now making plays. Next one from at Greg underscore Rappaport. 
Are there any stats or data to back up that Michael Carter isn't good at running between the tackles? It seems like conventional wisdom, but I'm curious what the numbers say. Well, okay, Greg, I checked it out. Um, on inside runs, according to Next Gen Stats, Michael Carter averages 3.4 yards per carry. The league average is 4.3. By comparison, Brees Hall, 4.6 on inside runs. So Brees Hall, a little above the average. Michael Carter, significantly below the average. Now, I know everyone's wondering about Robinson. Let's just pick up Robinson. And he averaged 4.5, so he too was above the in, uh, the the league average on inside runs. But it's worth noting that Travis Etienne, the starting running back now in Jacksonville, who obviously everyone knows supplanted Robinson, Travis Etienne was averaging 7.0 on inside runs, running behind the same offensive line, averaged 2.5 yards more per carry than Robinson. So that's worth noting. I think ETN 7.0 might be the highest in the league, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, so yeah, I think Robinson helps them inside, uh, but I do think the he complements Michael Carter really well. And I think once Robinson gets up to speed with the offense, he and Carter will be a good one-two punch. Now, it's not the same as Carter and Brees Hall because they don't have that dynamic breakaway back. That's why Hall was so val- valuable. He gave them that breakaway ability and so uh, they'll miss that. But I think, given the circumstances, I think you can be okay with Robinson and Carter. Let's talk about Sunday. The Patriots come to town. The, the hated Patriots. The Jets have lost 12 in a row to the Patriots. Haven't won since 2015. They got their rear ends absolutely kicked last year in Foxborough, 54-13. to I think it was the low point of the Sala era. Uh, he didn't say it publicly, but I think Robert Sala felt that Belichick ran up the score. In fact, he was asked the next day about it, and he said, look, it's the NFL, you know, you just have to stop it. But, he added, it's something I wouldn't do. That's something, that tells me right there that Robert Sala was peeved by that. The players remember it. As I said, as Sheldon Rankins told me after the game on Sunday, he goes, we've got good memories uh, you talk about taking receipts. Well, I think the Jets took receipts on that one. And so can they channel that emotion, that redemptive feeling into a win against the Patriots? I think they can. I think the Jets will rally this week. The Patriots are in a bad way, absolutely embarrassed on their home field against the Bears. They're on a short week. Bill Belichick has made an absolute mess of this quarterback situation between uh, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. I mean, it's just an absolute mess. He is a brilliant coach. I'm surprised that it's it's gotten that that crazy with the quarterback situation. So I do think the Jets will prevail here, and I think a big reason why is going to be the fans. I think the Jets, for a change, are going to have a home field advantage. I think they're going to win this game 20-17. to 17 and uh, improve to 6-2. and two. We'll see. The Patriots, you have to believe, you know, won't play two clunkers in a row. That's not their way. But these aren't the Patriots of old. Brady's long gone. Belichick's still there, so it makes them concerning. And they did cause a lot of problems for Zach Wilson last year in that open in that game at, at MetLife where he threw four picks in about the and about the blink of an eye. So this is a good litmus test for Zach Wilson to see how far he's come. 
But overall, I think the Jets get by here. I think it'll be another ugly kind of game, but I'm taking Jets 20-17. to 17. Hope you enjoyed this week's flight deck. We had a lot of ground to cover. The Jets are really exciting, and it's fun to talk about it when they're exciting as opposed to stinking, which is what it's been in the last few years. want to thank my guest, Leger Doosable, for dropping by and talking Jets. Thanks, of, as always, of course, to my producer, Jeff Scopin. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Hope you can get to MetLife. I'll be there. We'll be talking about it next week. Also about the trade deadline next week on Flight Deck. <laughs>